Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Richie Hearn interview part two. Kirby, how are you? Looking forward to it, Justin. Looking forward to it. Let's not yabber on. Let's just get on with it, shall we? Go. Let's go. So let's talk about 96. I think it's a really, you know, because the split was going on, it's a super interesting year. But I think to me, when I think about 96 and I think about Indy and 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 all that, you guys were in uh, beasts of cars at that point. You were, Hell yeah. You were in a... They're yeah. doing the speeds now, but back in 95, 6, doing 240 in those cars, you had to really man up. <laughs> well, that's like, what I was going to... That's joke. what... And that's you're you're that's exactly what I was going to ask you, because, I mean, you know, fans like uh, Kirby and I and we're we're definitely cart partisans, by the way. So uh, we'll. <laughs> and uh, I was, too. OK, you so know, I, I like I say that the, the IRL was it wasn't my what I wanted to do. It might Michael. I came from Southern California, Long Beach Grand Prix, Michael Andretti, Mario Andretti, M.O., Rick Mears. Like that was my where I wanted to be. So this was, and so I'm, I'm all with you. Yeah. So you're driving this car, you know, which was, you know, clearly a beast for sure. The, the, the cars of that era and they, they looked cool and, and they were powered like crazy. I know the cars were like good and fast, but looking back on it now, uh, you were young and, and dumb and all that at that age, but looking back on it now, I mean, were they even remotely safe? Hell no. (laughs) But I look at those, I, I, you know, I go to like the, you know, the museum and when I go back to India, you go to the museum and you look at those cars, you're like, man, that was nuts. You know, there's no head protection, like in, you know, it just, even the tire technology, you know, even go to the simple things, you know, were tires really designed to go 250 miles an hour? Probably not, but you know, you can, you know, it's easy to say it, but you can go back, let's go back to the seventies. And you look at those cars and like, dude, you're sitting in the gas tank. Like what's going, you know, so right. your feet, your feet, your feet are out, your feet are out ahead of the axles. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's at the time you feel perfectly safe. Like, this is no problem. I got this. Now you look back and go, man, that was nuts. Yeah. um, You just, you know, and and we might, we might 10 years from now, might look back and go, man, those guys were crazy in 2020. It's just, uh, you know, they were fast, and, and but they were great to drive. I think, I honestly still think, and a lot of people probably will agree with me, you know, the, the, the mid to late 90s was the best era for kart. You know, the cars were fast. They were beautiful. Now they're a little bit, and I love IndyCar racing, and the racing is awesome to watch. But they're a little, say, just a little dumbed down a little bit, only because they're all spec and, and stuff like that. And um, it, it was just, I, I definitely wouldn't drive one now. Um, I'd be scared to death. I probably wouldn't even fit in one. You know, they were so tight. But um, yeah, they were, they were just, they were beasts. They, they were just amazing. I, I loved it. Can you compare that car to the, the IRL cars then, when you had to switch over in the 2000s to drive the IRL cars? Um easy <laughs> you know i'm gonna say like you know when we when we got into the 2000s and you know it became a little more spec obviously they slowed them down and that's natural you know that you can kind of see a progression as soon as they like you know indy's a good a good barometer as soon as they start cranking over 230 they always dumb them down so i think or in 1996 i'm looking at my qualifying card right here you know i ran 
226 mile an hour average and qualified 15th. And then, you know, the next years or whatever, you know, 215 is like fast. Right. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, it's, you, you drive what you got, you know, and, and you're driving to those, those cars to the limit. So it's not like it's easy. Um, it's just different. And, you know, now I actually, I think like the last couple of years, they've really ramped the cars up for a good, you know, in a good way to where now I think those cars, the cars that are driving now are difficult to drive at the limit. And, and that's what you want to see, but you're right. Those early 2000 years, it was not that groundbreaking if you want to put it that way. Yeah. But I, I don't think those cars were particularly safe either. In fact, you could argue they were more dangerous than the, the, the early nineties uh, cart yeah. cars. So in 96, you know, obviously when the IRL, they didn't, the IRL didn't have their own cars. So we ran, you know, they had a deal, you know, we ran, um, you know, 95 Reynards um, with Ford Cosworth. And ironically enough, you know, as much as CART didn't want it to happen, listen, if those manufacturers didn't want to sell those cars to us, the IRL would have never happened. Yeah, all you over. Know, it right. was kind yeah. of like, you know, they, they saw the money that they could get from all this used equipment and it made it happen. And so in 96, and this is going way off track, but in 96, myself, um, John, and our engineer, David Cripps, we, we took a trip to Europe um, and went to Delara. Um, we went to uh, G-Force in England. You know, we kind of just did a little vacation and we went to these factories and kind of just saw what was in the works for the IRL. And what we saw was not good. And that really solidified our effort to go, you know what? We need to like get rid of this IRL stuff and we need to go to cart and do all that. And, um, you know, obviously that changed over the time, but yeah, those early years of the IRL, those cars were those big, heavy cars with those big ass gearboxes and stuff. They, you know, they hurt a lot of people, um, unnecessarily, but that's just life. Uh, as Paul Tracy infamously called them crap wagons. Uh, yeah. You know, that year when he finished, uh, you know, obviously he still contested. I finished sixth that year and then the 500, um, and that was in 2002. Right. Yeah. They weren't the best. I mean, but you drive what you drive, you get paid to drive and you give me a crap wagon. I'm going to drive it. Yep. Were they exotic cars and, and what IndyCar was all about? Absolutely not. They were, they were kind of weird and, and kind of just, they, that's just what we got. No, I, well, I think, you know, to your point, you know, Ari Leyendijk once said, uh, I read it once somewhere one time that, you know, cause he, he had, uh, driven both cars right you know with a close sure, proximity yeah. and and one in in the in the irl car and and you know his point was like you know sometimes he's diminished for that win because of the car but winning that race you know because everybody had that car was every bit as difficult as winning it in the other ones absolutely um, it doesn't yeah. change anything yeah you drive what you get you drive it to the absolute maximum limit now it was some kind of like beautiful engineering car and and, you know, no, but you still won the Indy 500. Who cares? It put us out there in fans. And, <laughs> right. You know, you're going right. to, it's still the Indy 500. It doesn't matter what it is. Everybody's driving the same stuff. You have driven, I mean, I, I started looking through this. You have driven so many cars in the in the Indy car, you know, world. Uh, you've driven Lola's, you've driven Swift's, you've driven Raynard's, you've driven the, <laughs> you've driven the Pasno's, you've driven uh, Delars, you've driven yeah. G-Force, you've had Oldsmobile's. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, Toyota, yeah. Chevy, Ford, Honda. Yeah. I mean, holy Moses! I mean, you, you, you've like drove you drove them all. 
almost. And uh, pretty much. I, yeah. And so, I mean, the obvious question is, okay, which one was the one for you? Probably, you know, the Reynard in the in the late '90s. So, you know, in, when we joined CART in '97, you know, we didn't have the budget to compete with the Penske's and everybody and stuff like that. So, you know, we took a chance and drove. God, I think we were in the Lola that year, and there was only a couple. I think it was a Lola. Either the Lola or Swift. I can't remember. But um, you know, there was only us and a couple of teams running that and. That car was just impossible to drive. Then we switched over to the Swift or the Lola. I can't remember what was what. And we struggled with that. When we finally went to the Reynard in like 99, I I would say that was probably the best car I drove. It was the most refined, um, easy to drive on the limit. But they're all good, you know? I mean, I I can't knock them all. They they all try hard. But, you know, the, the Reynard was probably the best car I ever drove as far as from a driver's feel, what you can really do. All the other cars had problems that as a driver, you had to mask, which unfortunately doesn't always show how hard you're trying on the track. And, uh, you know, the results didn't really come from those years. You know, it really, really didn't get comfortable. So I went, we went back to the basics, you know, just went back to the Reynard, which everybody was racing. And then we could really show, our true potential. Unfortunately, we were the, that was when Toyota was coming in, in 99. And that was when the Toyota was garbage, like literally garbage. And they were, you know, whatever we were a test team and you were just, but they blew up a lot. They were heavy, they were slow. And so you never really got to show your true potential. And, you know, unfortunately for me, for my career, John and I had a falling out in 99 and um, the next year in 2000, Ganassi runs Toyota. And guess how well they did? Right. <laughs> really well. Right. Well, guess who did all the development work for that car for in 99? This guy. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, and unfortunately, um, I, you know, John and I had a falling out and I was out of the sport. And, and that's probably one bitter thing. I never got to see the result, the reap the rewards of all the tests. I mean, we used to go, I'm telling you, testing is like the worst, you know, we used to go and we went to Portland and I hate Portland. And we used to go there. We went there for a week and we ran for seven days. So tedious and boring, but that's all, that was all the legwork for the, for the next, you know, next season and stuff. And sometimes I go, man, I just wish I would have had one more year to show what I could have done in that Reynard with the good motor, you know, obviously, you know, Ganassi won the championship and, and everything. And just, you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Well, the current drivers don't have to worry about that much testing anymore. Um, so they don't <laughs> no, to do it. They do not. I would go and go to like Nazareth and test for like weeks and go here and test weeks. And just, it's so boring. I can't tell you how boring it is. I don't care how much you're getting paid. And eventually you're just like, I'm over this, you know? So we were the tire test team for cart. So the tires that they were getting cart, we were doing a lot. We were choos- choosing the tires. We were like, Hey, A is good. B is not C's whatever. So I got a lot of experience doing that. Um, you know, unfortunately now, now they don't really do that. It's all so specked out. I think that's why I mean that it's kind of like a little different 
but it's just kind of just pretty steady Eddie. Everybody's got the same stuff and just do the best you can with the equipment. There's no edge you can get. Right. Right. So, so it sounds like today, instead of testing on the track, they spend lots of times in simulators. Exactly. There were no simulators back then. That, that, that sounds boring to me too. Would you, well, if you could choose, would you rather be at the simulator or on the track? A little bit of both. I think a little bit of both. I mean, you know, the, the testing scene in a real car is, it's very tedious and it's risky. You know, you're, you're risking a lot, you know, you're out there pushing and, and it's physically demanding. Whereas, you know, obviously in a simulator, I can sit there and have a beer and do it. Right. Um, I think, and, you know, going on that note, that's a big difference between today's drivers and, you know, back in the day when there was no simulator, just learning the tracks. Um, I think that's why you see these younger drivers like so like on it right away. Well, they have the ability. Now this, I mean, I have one myself. I have I racing. I do it every day pretty much. And you have the ability to get on there and just run lap after lap after lap after lap, learn the tracks, learn the, the techniques. Whereas back then it was just, you got to figure it out. You go to a street course, you know, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this course in a year and you got 30 minutes to figure it out. Nowadays, you know, these guys can um, sit there and, you know, practice for weeks on it and then they show up, they're ready to go. I don't know what it would be to go off your question. I don't know what it would be like to be able to just go to Delara simulator or whatever and just run and just do that to, compared to actually going and doing it physically. I don't know what, what I would like either way. I just know the tire testing and the engine testing was just old. They got old really fast Yeah. <laughs> because they right. don't want you to push. Here's the thing. They don't want you to push. All right. Especially the tire testing. They don't want you to push. They want you to go out there and run like a time and just run that time. And they just cut, you just go out and you run, this is set A and you go out there and run, you know, 50 laps or whatever, 40 laps, three laps. And then they come in and they go, okay, we're going to put set B on and they want you to go out there. And so there, for a driver side, you know, your, your, your motivation is to go out there and go as fast as possible. They didn't want you to do that. They wanted you to go kind of like kind of conservative, maybe like 80% cause they just wanted data. They wanted consistent data. Well, you do that for seven days. You're like, man, this is not any fun. Like, I'm not getting anything out of this. So, so after your split with De La Pena, um, you know, we kind of enter in a period where you're not racing, you know, full series or, or you know, it looks like to yeah, me. Much correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, maybe in 2002 you you did quite a few races, but you know the other years are a bit more sporadic in in the amount of races you're riding yeah. and and you're with different teams and and all this yeah. kind of thing and and you can almost see just looking at the at this and the different races is like you're just kind of and correct me if I'm wrong, just kind of looking for that break to get back in and yeah. it's it's just Absolutely. difficult, right? Because you're you either got the wrong car, or the wrong team, or the you know or whatever. You just don't yeah. have any money. Right. You know, it, it was kind of like, yeah. So like my split with uh, Della Pena was really bad and it really came at a wrong time. So it came at the end of the 99 season. Well, there were no rides available for 2000. They were all taken. My only option was to take a questionable ride for the Indy 500. That was the only race I did that year. And I, I kind of became an Indy 500 guy, you know, right. I could just show up with no practice 
and take a questionable car and make it in the race. Well, that didn't really help my career much. It, it paid my bills a little bit, but that's not what I wanted. And, and trust me, we tried. Me and my manager, I went to all the races, talked to people, um, you know, and, but there's just no rides. And, and back then, money still, you know, a lot of, I'll tell you what, the most disappointing part in a driver's career, especially after you've done stuff, to like when you go talk to a team owner and like one of the questions they ask you, do you have any sponsorship? Yeah. And that's no. And then you find out some other dude got the ride that has no qualifications, but he had a bunch of money. It's really hard emotionally to, to get through that. And, you know, in 2001, I didn't really do anything. 2002, fortunately I was friends with Sam Schmidt way before he even got hurt. Like I was friends with him way before when he was racing Formula 2000. You know, I remember being at Indy in 2002. I had nothing. I hadn't raced. And he had um, somebody driving the car. He had Mark Dismore and somebody else. He had two cars. And the other guy couldn't get up to speed. And they put me in the car for just one session. Because, you know, when you're like, you know, back then you'd practice for two weeks, right? It's just not. Now it's all shortened up. But back then it was like a month. It was really there for a month. And I knew the engineer really well. And I was just friendly with people. And they finally like, you know, when you have a driver and you're struggling to speed, sometimes you just don't know. Is it really the car or is it the driver? So for one session or morning or whatever, they, you know, put me in the car and I was able to get up to speed right away. And I even just said, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the car. And unfortunately, it killed that driver's career. I don't even want to say who it was, but you know, it just killed his career. And I got, they put me in the car and I finished sixth that year. And because of that, you know, Mark Dismore, I think was, was there, but they had the other car and I actually ran really well that year. Um, I had some good finishes. Um, and unfortunately though, that was the year I had my huge wreck in Kentucky and I was running like right there, like top five. And anyways, it, it was a huge wreck, destroyed my feet and everything. And, uh, it really, that was, you know, it took me out. Uh, you know, at that point I was out of commission. I was in a cast for like eight months. And, you know, at that point when I came back in 2023 or 2003, sorry, you know, it's funny how it works. People start looking at you as damaged goods a little bit. And sure. I just, I never was able to get a full-time ride at that point. Like, even though I was like, I still ran the Indy 500. I still qualified, raced, whatever. I jumped in the Menards car um, at Chicagoland, qualified on the pole. You know, I, I did some good stuff, but I never, never was able to get, I was, I, I just kind of felt like people looked at me as like, you know, and I was older, not old, but I was in my thirties, you know, and, and, you know, I had been hurt really bad and I don't know. It just kind of, that was like, the beginning of the end. And then I went a couple more years and I was over it. My biggest regret is what I should have done is I should have just realized the writing was on the wall. I was still really good driver. I believe in myself. I should have just pursued the sports car side. You know, I kind of dabbled in it. I kind of talked to like Corvette team and, you know, but I, I was still so passionate about IndyCar that I didn't really put much effort into it. And I really think back, you know, I should have just given up that and just went and just maybe got in the sports cars. I'd probably still be racing at this point. 
you know, but I was I was open little guy all all to the end. I, I, what's interesting about those years for you is that I and I alluded to it earlier. I, I just think that's that's the story of a lot of drivers, right? The, some of which, most sure. of which, we've probably never heard of, right? It's just it's got to yeah. be just soul destroying. Um, it is to go walk around the paddock and um, I'll just choose him as an example. And you go into Chip Ganassi and he says, "How much money are you bringing me?" And you're yeah. like, "None." And he's like, "Well, nice to see you." You know, and it's yeah. just got to be. It's it, got to be awful. It gets old. It gets old really quick. Yeah. And you got to remember, I'm not getting paid. So traveling to these races costs a lot of money. Right. And eventually you start going, man, I got to like, I started just doing gigs for money. You know, on my last, my last Indy 500 in 2007, I got paid like nothing. I mean, it was, I think I got paid $10,000. That's Jeez. one. That's that was my only gig for the year. You know, who tr- tried to live on ten thousand dollars for a year? It was a garbage. It was garbage. It was total garbage. I remember halfway through that race, going, "I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. This is not any fun. This is not worth it. I need to go figure out my life." Never went to another race again. I left that race. I'd never been doing any car race against again. I just literally just woke up and just said, "I'm done." And I went and figured out other stuff, but yeah, it just, it just have years after years, and especially, you know, I'll tell you what's really hard is like, I subbed for, God, I can't remember his name. He was a guy. He was racing for Menards at the time. And, um, this is what I was talking about earlier. And, you know, he was hurt. He hurt his wrist or something like that. And they subbed me, they brought me in for Chicagoland, got in the car, never been there before ever qualified on the pole, led a bunch of the race. We had a problem in the pit stop, whatever. I finished somewhere top 15 and, you know, and you get out of the car and everybody's like, man, that was so awesome. And so this and that, and then you get nothing out of it. Like, (laughs) no, like you get, you you expect to be like, all right, cool. Like now I'm going to get some offers or got nothing, nothing out of it. And you just go back to the grind. And, you know, when you're, when you're young, it's one thing, but you know, when you got a family and you've been doing it for a while, um, it just, it just eventually you just like, this is not any fun anymore. Like I'm not, I'm not doing this. It's kind of a sad point in my career, but it is what it is. I don't really look, like I said, I don't look back at the past in a bad way. I had some great, amazing moments and times, and I'm lucky to be able to do what I did, um, coming from where I came, but you know, and you look and you go through those times. I remember just, God, this is just awful awful and that's really what caused me to quit i literally just remember halfway through that race the indy 500 is literally i can remember it to this day the car was handling like shit and you know i remember marco andretti flipping me off (laughs) because i'm like in the way like we had a broken shock (laughs) in the car the the shot in in the end i didn't know this at the time but the thing wouldn't turn like it was just understanding 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 and i'm on the radio i'm like this car is like blah 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 and i remember like I'm just trying to survive. And I really remember Marco and Jay slipping me off coming out of turn two. I'm like, I'm hanging on for dear life. And he's literally. like 12 at that time. And he's <laughs> like, get the hell, you know, and whatever. That's fine. I probably would have <laughs> done the same. But um, I remember like halfway through that race going, this sucks. What what a, just, what a terrible frame of mind to be in, in that race. Right? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I just was, like, I, all I want to do is you, live. I, I was trying to crash the car safely. I was thinking of a way, like, I think I can just, like, rub the wall 
and just end it. Just end the race. You know, I didn't do that, obviously, but those are the thoughts going through my mind. And, and I just realized, like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. It was destroying my family life, you know, because, you know, like I say, it, it's expensive to travel around. You, you can't have a job and then take off and go to an IndyCar race and try to get a ride. Like, it doesn't work that way. Right. And my money that I had made years before, years, 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 we're talking 10 years earlier, is gone. And you're just struggling and you just got to just sometimes you got to wake up and go, eh, I'm done. And I went, I actually went, shockingly enough, eventually I went through some other stuff, but I ended up going to culinary school and, and I worked on the strip as a chef for a while. And I did, the, I don't do that now, obviously, but you know, I just realized, you know, I'm out. And I just kind of went off the grid. I just said, I'm done. Kirby, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of campaigns uh, in your, uh, that you campaign for. And I think, Maybe getting uh, Richie back in the SRX with uh, Marco. That would be. I'm too old. There you go. It's just a, just a, you know just a, to you know the grudge match continues. It wasn't. It, I, was, um, I was saying like it's not his fault. Like I would have done the same thing. Like get the hell out of my way, old man. Right. But I right. Just, like I like I remember that you know and I like I just like it's funny how you remember certain things and I just remember coming out of turn two and I'm like really literally hanging on for dear life. And, you know, the problem with oval racing is the slower you go, the worse the car feels, you know, it needs the arrow to work. Sure. And I'm just like, and I'm just, and I just remember him going around the outside of me and turn two and just like, it was big middle finger out. The <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> oh man, I'm like, well, I'm just hanging on for dear life, dude. To uh, expand on Justin's idea. Are there any other drivers you'd like to go out there and bang doors with in, in an SRX car from your, from your heyday? Um, no, you know, I, I actually, I mean, there was drivers who I didn't like, but I didn't hate anybody. You know, at that point, at that point, and you got to have some respect for what we're doing. Now, did I hang out with everybody? Absolutely not. Um, I was, I could really only count Jimmy Vassar as being my friend, you know, where I would hang out outside of the sport, but I never really, I never really had anybody, you know, and, and going back to the Patrick Carpentier days. Yes. Then yes, but that, I was also twenty, early twenties, and yeah, things like right. that. But I, right. you know, it'd be fun to go out there and do something like that, and just kind of just do it as in a in a fun way. I don't really have any any hate for any of those guys. I mean, you know, if I had to, uh, I'm not going to say it. Actually, there is one driver who I actually hate, but you, know, <laughs> you don't have probably to. Hear this, you don't have to name but, him, but I mean, yeah, he races in any car, and he he currently switched teams. Um, if people know me. Um, that hear this, they will know exactly who I'm talking about, uh, but I don't want to say it. I've, I've, uh, I've done I've done enough research. I think I might know who that is. But um, <laughs> uh, you yeah, did uh, run some junior formula teams for a couple of years. Is that right? I did, and um, that was probably the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about very at the beginning. You know, if you want to win, you can't hire a driver with money. And I did. I I. I had some grand idea that, that I think it would be a good idea to start Hearn Motorsports and do like a junior formula team. I was fortunate that first year, I, I had some sponsorship from HBO, and um, I also had Rafael Matos, who had just won the Skip Barber Scholarship and you know had some money. And, and with that money, we were able to put together a great team. We did some great things, but then that money went away. 
And right. now I was stuck with a shop and employees and no sponsorship. So I went down that path that I talked about. I had to start taking drivers purely for money. I was that guy. And my, our results went down and down and down. And unfortunately, as they go down, your level of hiring good mechanics go down. Your level of being able to attract a good driver goes down. And I just went down this path and I literally lost everything. I, I did Formula BM, uh, Formula Mazda, and then I switched over to Formula BMW when that was popular. And I lost everything. I'm not going to lie. I lost my house. I got divorced. I lost everything. I was a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt. I maxed out every credit card I could do. It was a bad, bad time in my life. That was probably the worst decision I could look back and go, you know, that was a bad idea. But I did it because I had the passion in the sport and I really didn't know how to do anything else. Unfortunately, you know, I raced from, from the time I was seven years old to the time, whatever, I did nothing else. I literally would sit there and go, well, I have no skills. I literally have, it was really, really super depressing. I have no skills. I, you know, I can fill out a resume and I have nothing to fill out on this. Cause I've never, I never really had to have a real job. And so I had this great idea. My dad was really sick at the time and I was really close with him. And, you know, I did it kind of for him. Like, like we, like, hey, let's, let's start racing. I had some money left from racing and let's start a racing team. We can do this together and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, he passed away and it just didn't work out. It really, and that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. I was that guy, like just struggling to survive, hiring the worst people just because I paid my bills. I wasn't paying myself. I tried, I hung on for like four years. I hung on for dear life. And it just like literally ruined me. It was fun, but it was a bad decision. I didn't have, you know, I think I didn't have the business skills to do it, to do it Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think now, you know, being a little older, being in a different environment, what I do now, I could probably like probably do it better. But back then I just thought I could just do it and I failed. I'm not afraid to say I flat out. Flat out failed. And well, I think all those things teach you something, right? Sure, you know, absolutely. You know, and yeah. I'll tell you what. One thing it did teach me is that you know, in my darkest, darkest days, now nothing bothers me. You know, as long as my kids are happy and and everything, I don't desire a lot now. I don't. I don't need a lot to be happy. You know, now I'm whatever. I just need very little to be happy and I do what I need to do. And maybe I wouldn't be this way then, but man, that was tough. That was tough times. That was like late 2000s, 2005, seven, eight, nine, whatever. It was tough. So now you're, um, and Curb, I, I've been to this facility. It's fantastic. Uh, in, uh, how's it called? Parnup, uh, Nevada. Is that? Parnup. Yeah. Parnup. Parnup. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, the Ron fellows driving school. And Curb, I went there, and and uh, it was fantastic. Richie was fantastic. I, I really, in in just a matter of two days, learned just a tremendous amount. It was fantastic. Um, and you're kind of doing that full time gig now, right? And that's uh, yes. And uh, more more than I need to. Right, right. And <laughs> we are flat out. 
Yeah, you guys seem bit very busy. You got yeah. what hun- hundreds of uh, Corvette C8s there. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, the we have about two hundred and fifty. Yeah, it's really? amazing. Yeah, it's amazing facility curb, amazing track. I mean, there are all kinds of configurations and so forth. But they, you know, I've been to a few driving schools in my day, and and ninety uh, percent of them I've learned nothing. Uh, but this one was fantastic. It's just kind of a fate for me. You know, I was at the time I was uh, when this, before the C7 came out, it was 2013. Um, you know, I wasn't really doing much. I was doing my cooking thing and whatever. And it's kind of, you know, at that point, you're kind of trying to find your path in life. And I happened to be coaching some of the, because it was a private country club. So they got members and I was coaching um, a couple of members or whatever. And, and then the C7 came out and they were going to do this big launch and, this big program and, and they needed some instructors. So I got asked to do it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I've never done anything like that. So I'll do it. And, and now it's just completely blown up. Like I really have turned into more of enjoying the education part. Like I don't even drive that much. I don't really care. Like I don't get much out of it. I have my simulator and I do my racing and that's fine. But as far as driving cars, I tell people, you know, I really just don't want to drive. I just, I love the teaching. I love seeing people come there, like what you're saying, start out here and then leave here. You know, I've been there almost 10 years now, about nine and a half years, and I ain't leaving. You know, the place is going to have to burn down for me to quit that job. I love it. And I, it's, you know, as a path of life, I've, become like an educator and I enjoy it. I just enjoy. And you know, I'll tell you what I enjoy the most <laughs> is I enjoy taking the, like the, like, you know, we do some advanced schools and, you know, really teach racing technique. I don't even really like doing that. Even though I have the skills to teach it, it's okay. I actually enjoy taking the really raw people who have no clue what they're doing and turning them into a better driver. I just really get a big kick out of it. And, you know, maybe as I get older, I just become more like that way. And I love it. It's a great place. Spring Mountain, it's a great place. And with Chevrolet and Corvette, and even with the Cadillac, we do a lot of Cadillac stuff with the CT5 Blackwing. It is amazing. Um, I don't think anybody leaves there disappointed. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know how you get in a car with some of those people and let them drive fast <laughs> around a track. I mean, that's gotta be more frightening than uh, the 2007 uh, Indy 500 as far as I'm concerned. Sometimes you just yeah. gotta realize, you know what? You just reach over and grab the steering wheel and go, Hey man, we might want to turn a little bit more. <laughs> you just kind of just do that. And, um, but you know, I, I, I just have a great time. I love it. I'm really happy with what I'm doing and uh, you know, and sure it's work, you know, but, I, there's never a day don't wake up and go, man, this is going to be fun. Now, sure. I want my days off. I don't want to do it 30 days a month. I was never a people person. If you knew me 10 years ago, when I started the school working there, I was completely different person. And now I just kind of learned how to just enjoy the people and how much fun they, it's like bringing somebody to Disneyland for the first time and just letting them have a great experience. I just love it. Is racing something that you would advocate, you know, I, I know you have children, but I mean, it, it, you know, if all the pieces fell into place, is it something you would advocate for your children or do you think it's if just too hard? To. No, right. it's not too hard. It's not too hard. 
I'm glad they didn't because it's very expensive. <laughs> and right. I would be like compelled to like stretch themselves, like kind of like my dad did with me. Like I have a talent and he stretched himself out to the nth degree to give me what I got. And it worked out. That doesn't always work out. And, um, you know, if your kids are passionate about something, you got to like help them. And if my, you know, fortunately my, my kids weren't passionate about racing and I got lucky that way as far as financially, you know, if your kid wants to be a golfer, what do you do? You go and like give lessons and you like, you know, do, it's no different. So, um, if your kid, you know, if you have a son or a daughter that wants to race, let them do it. And, and if they don't make it, so what, you know, I can look back, I look back on my career, I'm almost 52 now. And I look back on my career and I'll tell you what, the happiest times of my life were probably when I was racing with my dad. Right. You know, so even if your kid doesn't become a professional driver, those experiences you can't replace. So if your kid wants to race, do it, you know, you do what you can afford and just have a good time. If something happens, you know, and they become a professional driver. Cool. If not, just they'll have a great experience and it's no different than if your kid plays soccer or, you know, I think how many people want to be our golfers and very few make it. It doesn't mean that you have to not do it. Amen to that. Well, we've been uh, yenting on here for a while, so I just want to kind of finish off with uh, what do you think of like IndyCar today? And I'm going to follow that up with what you think of Formula One today. But I, I, I'm just curious, like, your view, you you obviously know a lot of those people still. Um, there's some of those guys yeah. still hanging around from your era. Um, and uh, Curb and I basically, whenever we do our podcast, have a debate about all the things IndyCar does wrong. And I'm just curious as to, you know, where you see it, you know, with your perspective and, and, and you know, what's your feelings on it? Um, you know, I think IndyCar is probably one of the best racing products out of there as far as like if you watch the race the competitiveness the amount of drivers that could win the amount of teams that could win is probably one of the best products you know formula one's great i love it but we also know when we watch the race there's what like five guys that maybe can win at this point maybe one maybe one yeah uh, right maybe one and that's fine any car does not have that um, NASCAR, we're not even going to get into that. I have, I have no interest in that because of the way they, you know, unfortunately NASCAR, I think has turned into too much of like a WWE type of sport. Uh, hundred percent. Let's go to just any car in Formula One. Now Formula One has got the glitz and the glamour and all this stuff. And that's cool. And it's on an upswing. Everybody loves it. Netflix, all this stuff. And that's cool. I love it too. I'm watching, I told you at the beginning, I've got, Formula One practice two on pause right now. I'm going to watch it later. Any car though, pure racing, four wheel racing. Let's not talk about motorcycles. Let's talk about four wheel racing is by far the best. Now, do they promote it correctly? Probably not. But my thought about it is this. Do you need to make it the best product ever to be a good product? No, I think that you, you can room for everybody somebody doesn't have to be better than the next. there's room for everybody and i hate it i literally hate it when i get on social media 
And people are like, oh, Formula One's this. You know, every, we all enjoy it. It's all good racing. I enjoy it all. In fact, I hate to say it, my favorite racing is MotoGP. I live for that. Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, but I also love IndyCar. I love sports cars. I watch, I, when the 24 hours comes on, I literally watch like the whole 24 hours of Le Mans. Like I love it all and there's nothing wrong with that. But going back to your original question, I think IndyCar, you know, it went through some dull times. Now it's amazing. Do they promote it correctly? Um, I can't answer that question on how to do it. It's not my, my expertise, Um, but I absolutely love it. I can't wait for the Indy 500. I do a big party. I do a pool and I am on the edge of my seat. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I love it. You know, it just, it's all racing. We all love it and, you know, take it for what it is. You know, Formula One's going through a golden era. Sports cars coming with all the, the manufacturers coming in. I think sports cars coming to take over a little bit, but we, do we have to really compete? Can we just like, just enjoy it all while it's good? I think too, with IndyCar, one of the best things, and we haven't seen really, we're kind of seeing a little bit of the fruits of the labor now, but you know, 10 years from now, we might really see it is Roger Penske behind the speedway, behind the series. He's the man. I think uh, you uh, have allies in Kirby and I who are also dinosaurs and looking at some of this stuff as well. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and I agree. I think I, I think both Kirby and I would agree with that when you say Kirby. Uh, yeah, NASCAR might be an enemy, but other than that, yeah, I certainly enjoy the sports car and the Formula One. And all that. <laughs> I just, you know, I wish, I, you know, NASCAR, I wish NASCAR would just, and this is never going to happen. I'm just one voice, but they're trying to manipulate it to be in this, this amazing event. Well, if you do that every time, it dilutes the amazing event. Even Formula One. You know, sometimes yeah. you have a boring race. Sometimes it just happens. But when you have that amazing race, you remember it forever. Yeah. NASCAR's trying to just level that out. It just can't happen. And that's all right. I just, I only have so much time to watch races. NASCAR is not one of them. I, I think NASCAR is unwatchable to me. I can't stand it. And it's yeah, like nah. I, 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 my jaw is always on the ground at the end when it's like, OK, there's two laps left. Let's have four more wrecks and then figure yeah. it out. It just seems so random and ridiculous. I can't. I, 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 the uh, green, white, checkered and stage racing ruined it. I watch the end of the Daytona 500 every year and you turn it on and there's 50 laps left. So you think this won't take very long. But two hours later, you're still waiting for the race to finish. I mean, it's just yeah. it's amazing how long those races take. It'd be it'd be like watching the Super Bowl, and they just kind of try to manipulate the ending so it's like the score is as close as possible, and it's always like overtime. It, that's not what makes it great, you know. So you know, stop trying to make it great all the time. Sometimes it's not gonna be, and sometimes when it but when it is, you appreciate it. Yeah, agreed. Right. Richie, thank you so much for your time and uh, and insight. And uh, I really look forward to seeing you uh, down at the driving school again here soon. I will be there. Hopefully I gave you a good interview. I had fun talking about it. I don't talk about it much, but when I do, I open up. It was a good time. I enjoyed it and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. Yeah, here. thank you for having me. All right, get back to the FP2. Thanks, Richie. <laughs> yeah, take, take care. Right, take, take care. care. Well, Curb, what do you think? Uh, that was 
quite a talk uh, with with Richie. I think I learned a bit, a lot about his experience um, back in the heyday of CART, and uh, unfortunately, some of the tough times he had to go through after his heyday. And uh, nice to hear that he's in a good place now. I think this uh, that interview should be standard uh, listening for any parent thinking about getting his child into car racing. Or for the child, for that matter. Or for the child, for that matter. Um, I, I, the, the interview was everything I'd hoped it would be in, in terms of just kind of uh, telling a tale from a different way. And uh, uh, really interesting guy. And, and I've met him uh, previously, which is one of the reasons we had this interview. And I can tell you he's a very nice guy. And um, he, uh, even just with a few sentences, uh, made my driving so much better. It was. Uh, and it sounds like. It's something he enjoys doing, and um, and consequently, that's why he is in a good place at this point in time. So, uh, yeah, sounds like a really good guy and a lot on the ball. All right. Well, with that, uh, good night, everybody. See you soon. Take care. <laughs>